morning. Guys, look, you guys were just worshiping awesome. I took a picture and I Instagrammed it. And we could just, can we do that? Just get your phones out. Where's my, my phone? Just throw it to Come on, get your, just take a picture of me right now. Come on. It's the first time I wore a suit. I only wear a suit, well, two times, you know, I wear a suit when I go to weddings and when I go to those other things, you know, that's it. No, we're, we're dressing up. We're just going a little, make sure you, you know, when you put a suit on, you just kind of feel different. Look at Paula. Come on, Linda. They take pictures. I love it. Look at tip pictures. I post them, Instagram, Facebook. There you go. I'll shoot right to the top. Number one. I love you guys. You know, you just you do feel a little different, right? You put a suit on, and, and uh, I almost feel kind of... I used to wear these, you know, back in the day. This used to be the attire for pastors. Pastors used to be required. You had to wear a suit. And uh, then we went to khaki pants and Hawaiian shirts, polo shirts. And then somewhere... 2000-ish something, we started wearing jeans, and then skinny jeans, and then all kinds of jeans. So I don't know. I'll let you know when it changes again. Good morning. Hey, a couple things Pastor Clint did mention, but the putting on the Ritz tonight is for you. The putting on the Ritz is for you. We invited the the general manager of the Orlando Ritz-Carlton, which is the most prestigious uh, uh, hotel resort here in Central Florida, and also the whole world. Uh, Ritz-Carlton is known for its hospitality. When I was thinking of Operation Blessing and thinking about this week, I I thought, who better could we invite than someone from the best hospitality hospitality service place in the world than someone from the Ritz-Carlton? And so I just linked in. If you don't know what LinkedIn is, you can Google it and find out about LinkedIn. But it's a a page that business people use to stay connected. And I linked in uh, the the, uh, general manager, John McGavern. He told me I had to contact their headquarters and, so we wrote a nice letter to their headquarters explaining uh, who we were and what we were trying to do. And next thing you know, I got a call from him. And uh, he's going to be here tonight. Uh, they do charge normally. If Ritz-Carlton comes to the organization and does an event, it's $12,500 plus expenses. So we're not paying them $12,500, I can tell you. Uh, so this is a great, great blessing. This is City Church sewing into you. We got a, This room will be beautiful, beautifully decorated. We're going to have a time tonight. We're just going to learn we're going to grow in hospitality. Paul told us to grow in grace. And we were to, as believers, we were to show hospitality to one another. It's one of the great gifts that we have of demonstrating love in practical ways to our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're doing it because next week we're inviting our city. And uh, we're inviting our city to come and to hear about the wonderful message of God's grace. Operation Blessing. And uh, it's a great, great opportunity. I'm going to receive an offering at the end of of the message today. Everyone here should have one of these cards. It looks like this. It's called Operation Blessing Generosity Card. Can you just, I want to see, I want to see cards in everybody's hands, okay? Because I'm going to work through this card. Everyone needs to have a card. We're going to challenge you today. Listen, if you're not ready to give this morning at the end of the service, tonight at Operation Blessing, at the end of our putting on the Ritz, uh, we will have a basket. You can leave it on the table. Uh, it's going to be a great night tonight. It's going to be fun. We're going to have a great time together with our family. Just We're going to have a great time. It's going to be good. So I don't want to give away, away too much. But uh, an Operation Blessing next Sunday. Guys, come early. Be ready. Serve. Have fun. Place is going to be packed. It's just going to be a wonderful, wonderful time together. We still need you to take bags and food baskets and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's people talking about it. It's a great, great opportunity. Can you stand with me this morning as we read God's Word together? I'm going to read uh, two passages of Scripture, fairly lengthy this morning, but I feel like there's something powerful 
when you just read the Word of God for yourself. So if you have your Bible, I want you to go ahead and open it to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to read verses uh, 1 through 9. And then I want you to turn, we're going to read over to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just one chapter over. We're going to read verses, one, uh, verses 5 through 14. And uh, they're going to put the verse up on the screen. And I'm going to read just off the screen here a little bit because I just think, I just, I want you to feel this. I want you to feel this text. Paul the Apostle, he's a church planner. He's given his whole life for the cause of Christ. You and I are here today. We're reading scriptures that were written by him. And he's writing about a church in Macedonia. He's writing to the church of Corinth, but he's writing about another church. The church, it's actually, the church is at Philippi, which is in the region of Macedonia. He mentions the region here. This is a church that Paul planted. The church of Philippi is a church that Paul planted. And they had great suffering and great hardship, but they were extremely generous. I call it, they were astonishingly generous. They were extravagantly generous. They were generous beyond belief. And 2,000 years later, we're reading about their generosity and the heart of God and what a generous church looks like. And so 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse number 1. And the Bible says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Paul is just bragging on them. This is an example. This church is an example about the grace of God that's in existence in their life. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Everyone say generosity. Extreme poverty, rich generosity. It's not about the amount of money that you give today, but it's about your willingness to obey and to do what the Lord has asked us to do. For number three, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. I mean, that's extravagant. Entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. How about that? They exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord, and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as we had, had earlier made a beginning, to bring us also to completion this act of grace on your part. Verse number 7, look at this. But since you excel in everything... I mean, this is this church here. They're excelling in faith. They believe in faith that can move mountains. They, they believe in speech and knowledge and power gifts and in knowledge and wisdom. Excel in faith and speech and in complete earnestness in the love that we have kindled in you. See that you also excel. Everyone say, excel in this grace of giving. Verse number 8. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that through His poverty you might become rich. Wow. So that you through His poverty might become rich. It's amazing. Ten times Paul talks about the grace of God. The grace, the ability to live generously. Now I want you to just turn over to Second Corinthians chapter 9. Paul's continuing. He's talking about a collection. Paul was raising money. Paul was raising money for poor brothers and sisters that were in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem, which was primarily Jews, primarily Jews, they had experienced great famine. They experienced great persecution. And Paul is traveling to the churches that he's planted, and he's raising money. That's what he's doing. He's challenging, and over a long period of time. 
I want you to see something. He's going to send some brothers back to him because the church at Corinth, they got really excited about giving at first and they kind of waned off in their commitment. They kind of forgot about the needs of others. They started thinking about themselves. And it's verse number five we're going to pick up here. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangements for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not as, a, not as one grudgingly given. Remember this. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give as you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a happy giver. Everyone say, happy giver. Everyone say, happy, happy, happy. Happy, happy, happy. Everyone, God loves a happy giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You see that there? What does God do when you give? He will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Verse number 11. You will be enriched. Everyone say enriched. Don't you just like those words? Enriched, blessed, generous. Aren't those just good words? Those are awesome words. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse number 12. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God because of the service by which you've proved yourselves. Others will praise God for the obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity and sharing with them and with everyone else. And in their prayers for you, their hearts will go out to you because of the surpassing grace God has given you. Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Let us pray. Father, in these next few moments, thank You for Your amazing grace we've experienced in our worship. We've already given to You. And for those who have given as an act of worship, I pray Your blessing upon them. And Lord, I thank You that You are here today to stir us, to challenge us, to move us forward, to take our next step in You in this area of generosity and living as disciples. Jesus, we ask this now. Give us ears to hear and give me a mouth to speak in your mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Our big idea today is simple. Really, really simple. Disciples of Jesus love to give generously. Disciples of Jesus love to give generously. We live to give. We live to give. I haven't always lived to give. I haven't always. I mean, most of you know if you're a parent, you, you know, you... you, you you buy your kids at some kind of present or something, or you go to the store and you buy food maybe for a child. And I've had this happen in my house recently when we had some food, and uh, I bought a food. I bought the food for the home, and then I wanted a certain food that a certain person in my family likes. And when I went to ask if I could have some of the food that I paid for, you know what they said? <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe your parent, maybe you like to play video games with your kids and you buy your kid a special video game for Christmas and they've been playing it for like three hours and you ask it, you can play with them. They say, no. (laughs) What's that about? (laughs) My grandmother was a very generous person. She was a very generous person. Not. 
She was very generous with certain people. Her family. She gave to her own. She never gave to a church. She didn't believe in God. She didn't, she didn't go to church other than when she went to watch us perform in a Christmas program or something like that. She just, she wasn't a follower of Christ. And although she was generous, her generosity had boundaries. It was only for certain people. Certain people being her family. I remember as she got to the end of her life, she started writing very generous checks. And I mean like checks like 500 and 1,000 at a time. And one time I asked her, I, I, I said, Grandma, what are you doing? I said, these checks, I noticed these checks are starting to go out of your account. And I was, you know, I was on her little will, and I was, uh, uh, what, I don't know what you call the, what did you call them? An executive of her estate. And I said, God, what are you doing? And I noticed one particular sister, I got four sisters, one particular sister kept getting large checks. Large checks. And so I said, Grandma, what are you doing giving this sister and not giving everybody else money? She said, oh, that sister, her name, she named her name, she's done so much for me. And I'm like, what? She lives 3,500 3, miles away. You never see her. I said, what about you, my sister that you live in her house? And she puts food on your table and cooks for you and washes your clothes. And doesn't she do so much for you? Oh, no, no, no. That sister up there, she does so much for me. Oh, interesting. Because the fact is, many, many times, people have that kind of mindset about generosity. It's just for certain select people. Certain select people. But when God comes into your heart, and God changes your heart, God begins to do something, and all of a sudden, this life about me doesn't become about me anymore. It becomes about giving. About serving. About being a blessing. About living open-handed. I want you to see four things that Paul talks about in our text that we read this morning. The first thing I want you to see this morning is the example that Paul gives. Paul gives an example of a church that is generous, extravagantly get generous. And then we're going to talk about remembering to give, the challenge. Because sometimes, I don't know about you, you know, we just kind of go through the mundane of life. And just like the church at Corinth, at Corinth life was happening. They, they made a promise to give, but they forgot about it. And, you know, other things came up and... I want to talk about that. I'm going to talk about the, the reward. The reward. There is a reward. We don't talk a lot about rewards because it's about grace. And, yeah, we all mess up. We're all sinners saved by grace. And, yeah, it's all good. But, and that is true. And, and we have to. We don't do this thing without grace. I'm leaning into grace every day more and more as I follow Christ. I need more grace, not less grace. But there will come a day where the Bible says that I will give an account for everything I do in my life. Every action, every word, every deed, every gift will be rewarded by God. Every deed. It would just, it, it's part of the Scriptures. You can't read the Bible without, without seeing those things take place. There is a reward in this life and in the life to come. We're going to talk about that. And finally, I'm going to talk about the results of our generosity. And I'm going to challenge you today. Because we're going to receive an offering at the end of this message. We're going to receive an offering specifically for Operation Blessing. I'm going to challenge us today to do something, to do everyone to do something. But first, I want to talk to you this morning about the example. The church and the example that the Macedonian church was not only to the church of Corinth, but to the church of all ages, the church of all times. 
As I begin to look through this text, I begin to see Paul's heart, begin to think about Paul. He was writing from prison, most likely. Most scholars believe that he was actually in Rome at this time, and he was writing to the church at Philippi, and he was thinking about these brothers and sisters who would constantly encourage him. They were a generous people. And as I looked at their generosity, it wasn't because they had a lot of money. The Bible says they actually gave out of their poverty. Here's the deal, guys. If you're waiting until you hit the lottery to write a check to give to God, you know what? It's never going to happen. It's never gonna... And number one, and number two, you're never going to hit the lottery. So just go ahead, save your money, and give it to God anyway. All right? If you're playing the lottery, let me help you. You're not going to win, okay? <laughs> you're just not. It ain't going to happen. All right? Because the fact is, you heard my voice. God loves you so much, He doesn't want to ruin your life like that. He doesn't want you to think that money just falls off the tree. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work like that. They gave out of their poverty, out of their lack, out of their need. Listen, I, I can tell you from personal experience, before I knew Christ, it was never about giving to others. It was always about Eugene. It was always about what I could get, what I could do, my experiences, where I could go, what I could buy, what I could have. The moment, the moment I surrendered my life to Christ, one well, of the first things that I did is I started to give. I mean, it just happened. I wasn't a church member. I mean, I was just coming out the streets, doing drugs and dope and all the other crazy stuff that young people do. I, I remember this like yesterday. I remember the offering bucket went by on a Sunday morning. I didn't have my check, and I used to try to give cash because I worked for tips. And I would run down, I ran down the church on Monday. I, I did not want to miss an opportunity to give. I didn't want to miss it. I mean, I was like, I was determined that I was going to get my tithe and get my offering into the offering plate. It just, it was never. Now listen, I don't know, I don't know where you're at in your relationship with God, but when our hearts are changed and transformed, this thing of giving isn't about us anymore. It's about simply doing what God's asked us to do. The fact is today, God has given you everything. God gave you the Son. The fact is, you woke up this morning, the sun came up, and however all that works, and the earth spins and moves, and all the things that happen to make the sun look like it comes up. Listen, the fact is, you got the sun in the sky that shines upon the soil of the earth, and then it rains, and then the seed comes, and you didn't do anything to make that happen. That was God's gift to you. God created the universe. God created the stars in the heaven. God created air and planet earth. God created the trees and the grass of the field and the, and the animal kingdom. God did it for you. It was God's gift to you. God's gift to you is amazing. God's gift to you. He gave you life, breath. He breathed into Adam and Adam began to breathe as a human being. You have breath today because of God. Listen, you have breath today. You have eternal life today because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, walked on planet Earth and He lived a sinless life and He died on the cross and on the third day, He rose from the dead. Come on, you have the gift of God today. But I can tell you the greatest gift, the greatest gift that God has ever given anyone was the gift He gave to me on November 17, 1983. And that was eternal life. He gave me. <laughs> I don't know what He's done for you, but let me tell you what He's done for me. God is so good. You see, their hearts were changed. They gave out of their poverty. They gave out of their lack. They loved to give. They gave as much as they could. Verses 3 and 4 it says, They gave extravagantly. I testify they gave as much as they were able, even beyond, entirely on their own. And they urgently pleaded with us 
They pleaded. They begged with us for the privilege of sharing. Hey, Pastor, when are you going to take that offering? I can't wait till the offering bucket comes by. woo We get to give today. Yeah! Woo! Hallelujah! Let me run to church so I can give my offering. Woo! That never happens. <laughs> this is like the most painful moment in churches in America. It's like going to the dentist. The pastor's talking about money. Guard your wallet. Come on, isn't that right? Not the church here. Because they live for another reward. They live for eternity. Their hearts have been changed. The reason the gospel is weak. There's a big debate in America right now. It's not a debate with me because I don't even understand it. There's a big debate in the church about whether or not God still does miracles. I said the reason that God doesn't, they don't, it can't wrap their brain around it is because the church of America is anemic. Because we don't need God. We say on our money in God we trust, but we don't trust in God. We trust in the stock market. We trust in the economy. We trust in, in economics. We trust in a president or a political party. We trust in other things. But guys, let me tell you, the challenge to us today is to live a life open-handed. To live a life of generosity. To say, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. They exceeded our expectations. They gave of themselves first to the Lord. They gave them themselves first to God. Their, their love, their true devotion is a relationship with Christ. Paul said their giving was a test of their true love and devotion. I'm not commanding you, Church of Corinth, to do this, but I'm testing how your genuine love is, how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of the other churches. Paul was comparing the church of Macedonia Church Corinth. I wonder if the Lord still does that today. If He still does it today. God does care. He does look and He does see. <clears throat> Several years ago, my wife and I, a group of people from our church, we went to Seattle, Washington. About 20 some people we went. And, and uh, we went to the church that kind of has been the, a big influence in us. It was the City Church of Seattle. Pastor Wendell and Jenny took a group of young people from here. And it was an amazing experience for our young people. They went to a church that has practiced radical, extravagant generosity from its beginning. The City Church of Seattle at one point was the largest giving to other ministries church in the world. Phenomenal. They didn't start off having a lot of money. They started off with nothing. Pastor Wendell told me, he said, when our church was about two years old, he said, we had a missionary come. He said, that missionary came. And he said, uh, God spoke to my heart that I was to give him $10,000. He said, we only had $10,000 in our checkbook. That was it. We, only had, we had nothing in the reserves. Everything we had was $10,000. It, uh, it's hard for me to believe this. He said, God spoke to me. He said, okay, Lord. And he said, I put that $10,000 in there. And he said, it was amazing. He said, that missionary. He said, I didn't tell anybody. He said, but we never missed a bill. He said, from that moment on, our church began to experience God's favor and God's blessing in an incredible way. It was several years later, God spoke to Pastor Wendell. The church was running about 3,000 at the time. It's about maybe 7,000 now or something. And, but about 3,000, God spoke to him on a Sunday morning. And God said, I want you to give your whole Sunday morning offering to another pastor here in the city. And the pastor that God told him to give it to was a pastor that had been speaking bad about him. That had been criticizing Pastor Wendell and his ministry. Been saying that he wasn't teaching the Bible correctly. Publicly saying that. Pastor Wendell took an offering on Sunday morning. He gave the whole offering to the pastor. 
Well, Pastor Wendell didn't know when he did that. That other pastor was three weeks behind on payroll. Three weeks behind on payroll. It was another large church in the city. He was hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, not able to pay his bills. Pastor Wendell gave a significant offering. But I told my wife, I said, you know what's amazing about Pastor Wendell? Is that Pastor Wendell didn't wait until he had, until he started to give. For 20-some years, he was a youth pastor in Portland, Oregon, at Bible Temple. And that's where I met him. That's where Laura grew up at, at Bible Temple in Portland, Oregon. Pastor Wendell, when he was making $25,000, $30,000 a year as a youth pastor, was the most generous man. Constantly giving. Constantly having people living with him. Always generous. Always giving. Always lived abundantly. Always lived it. He modeled it. City Church, our heart's desire. I looked at the giving. I just pulled it up last night. I was amazed to see how generous this church has been. Year to date, this church, good, bad, ugly, however it worked out, we've given 14% of the tithe and offerings that have come into this church. 14% we've given back out to other missions and ministries in our community. Can you give God a big hand? Listen. The impact, the impact of Christianity and a community when people begin to live generously, things begin to change. John Wesley said it like this, it is possible to give without loving. Lots of people give and don't love anybody. Lots of people give for their own motive, they get a plaque on the door, whatever, whatever their motivation, to leave their guilt. But it is impossible to love without giving. You, if you love God, you'll give. I love this. Since you excel in so many ways in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, your love from us, I want you to excel in this gracious act of giving. Gracious. Because when you give, that's when you are most like Jesus. When you're giving. And when you're giving to someone who can never repay you. When you're giving, and it's, just, it's from your heart. And you're doing it privately. Paul talks about when you're doing it like that that's that's when it's powerful that's when it's life changing in you church that begins to live and practice and think like this as a family as a congregation things begin to happen that city begins to change that community begins to change Tim Keller very famous communicator in America Christian communicator today in America pastor in New York City talks about the four reasons that the early church was so powerful he said the first one is they had an absolute abortion. I mean, an absolute uh, a hatred of racism. They had a complete absence of racism in the early church. It was, it was Africans. It was Greeks. It was Romans. It was Jews. We just read it right here. These Grecian Romans were giving, these Gentiles were giving to their Jewish brothers and sisters. Paul was collecting offering from the African church and from the churches all over that part of the world. It was an absence of racism. It completely went against the culture of their generation. They had a high value of human life. In Roman time and in Grecian time, in this period of Paul's generation, a person could own a slave and they could do whatever they wanted to a slave. They could kill him. They could abuse him, whatever they wanted. There was no law that said they couldn't do it. Uh, it was the prize to have a baby boy. If you had a baby girl, it wasn't such a good thing. And they would literally take their baby girls that were born and they would leave them on the side of the road to die. Christian church came in. The Christian church was the, the Christians. The Christians, not a building. The Christians, people who were devoted followers of Christ, were the first ones to start orphanages. 
They were the first ones to start hospitals. They were the first ones that started giving food to the needy because they had a different view. They viewed people the way that God viewed people. They viewed people with dignity and respect and people made and created in the image of God. They had a high view of people. They loved people because people were made in the image of God. The third thing that they did is that they had an unusual view of sexuality for that generation. They had an unusual view of sexuality. See, because in Roman and Grecian culture in this time, it was just, I mean, if you felt it, you did it. However you wanted to do it. Anybody you wanted to do it. They weren't Judeo-Christians. It wasn't like American culture that we come up with having a kind of a fairly high view, you know, in the 50s you couldn't even show. In the 60s you still couldn't show two people sleeping in the same bed on television. And now, it, what it, you know, it's just beyond. You couldn't even imagine that. You couldn't even imagine. You watch some of the old programs and you can't even imagine Today, it's whoever you want to be married to, however you want to marry, however you want to do it. You know, how do you marry? You do marry, whatever. I mean, our view of sexuality is so low. The Christians had a high view of sexuality. They believed that it was the highest form of commitment to God when you made a total commitment to one person and stayed in a monogamous relationship. They had a high view. It went against the culture of their generation. And the fourth thing is they gave generously. They excelled in giving. They excelled in giving. But I need to remind you today. Paul had to remind the church at Corinth because it's so easy to forget. We don't often, I, and I don't look at people who give. I don't look. But every once in a while I have to look because I'm a shepherd. Just recently I, uh, I had to go in, and, and once a year the bank wants to do an audit on our books, and they want to see our finances, where we're at. And so I went, and I just pulled it to see how many people were giving at City Church. We have 454 giving units at City Church. And I just went in to kind of see what percentage of people were given. What I found is about 10% of the people in our church, about 10% actually believe in radical generosity, about 10%. And there's another group of people that I can tell that they give, but I can also know that they're not, they're not radically doing it. They're not totally in this thing. And then there's a whole large group of people that think it's someone else's job to do their part. And I begin to think about that. What is that? How come that happens? It isn't just here. It's churches all over America. Churches all over America. Because, see, you need to be reminded today. Like Paul reminded the church at Corinth. Uh, he said, listen, guys, I, I want you to be ready. I want you to give generously, not grudgingly, not under compulsion. I, I, I want you to do this. There's a promise that you made to God. You made a promise and you came to Christ. You said, Jesus, when I give you, when you came to Christ, you said, Jesus, I'm giving you my whole life. But the, for most people, the last thing that they give to God is this thing right here. I give you this, I give you my time, I help serve the church, maybe I give you my tongue. And I give, but this, that's sacred. That's sacred. You made a commitment to God. You prayed, Lord, I surrender my life to you. And God says, surrender this to me. They surrendered, they, they surrendered their life to God. They were challenged to keep the promise that they had make, made to help other people. And then he says, I want to, re, I want to remind you, you must so generously... Look what he says here in verse 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Sowing and reaping. It's powerful. This apple, this apple has five pockets in it. I didn't know this until I studied it, but apples have the potential, potential to have ten seeds. They never have more than ten seeds. Most apples have five seeds. They have three to five pockets, and in each pocket they have one or two seeds. 
Apples are a delicious, delicious fruit. We lived in Washington, and they had the best apples in the world. I was exposed to Fuji apples, and I loved the crispy taste of the cold. This is a red delicious, but a cold, crunchy Fuji apple. There's nothing like it. And you cut those apples open, every apple, the 7,500 different varieties that you cut open, they all have the same potential number of seeds. You know that seed that goes into the ground? Ten seeds, five seeds. That seed has the potential to produce other apples. Isn't that right? That seed that goes into the ground, anyone can count how many seeds are in an apple, but only God can count how many apples are in a seed. Only God can count how many apples are in a seed. God's gracious. God's merciful. (laughs) My boys ought to just shout me down on this one. This church ought to be grateful for the story that I'm about to tell. But in 1986, I was uh, living in Tucson, Arizona. I had left Bible college. I spent one year in Bible college and, and uh, went home in between semesters. It was actually the summer semester. And, and I left school really hurt. The school that I went to was a very strict school and had a lot of re- regulations and a lot of rules. And I had a very difficult time there. And, didn't quite understand what they were doing. Had a, had a lot of things that I was working through in my life, and I made a commitment that I would never go back to see those people again. I didn't want to go to school there. I didn't want to go back to Portland. I didn't like the city. It was a very, very hard year for me. On my way one morning, as it was my custom, to go to the church and pray, I would go to the church every morning. I worked in the restaurants at night. And uh, on my way uh, to the prayer in the, in the morning, I felt God speaking to me that I was going back to school. I've told this story before, but it just it fits so perfectly. I had been arguing with God. I said, God, I can't go back to school. I said, Lord, there's no way. I said, I, said, I don't have the money. I don't like those people. They don't like me. That was a terrible year. I gave all the reasons why I couldn't go back to Portland that year. And as I was pulling into the parking lot, I turned on the radio in my automobile, and, and on the radio came a, a pastor. I was listening to Christian Station. This pastor began to speak, and I recognized the voice of that pastor because it was the pastor of Portland Bible College or Bible Temple, the school that I went to. His name was Dick Iverson. And Brother Dick was talking about bitterness, talking about unforgiveness. And as I was listening to that, I, one, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe that he was on a radio station in Tucson. And, and what I later found out is that that message had been recorded 10 years earlier. And that church had never played that message, and they played the message that morning, the morning that God was speaking to me to go back to that school. God was speaking to me to go back to that school. My heart was embittered, and I was pulling into the parking lot, and I knew that I knew that I knew that God had my number. I knew. And so I went into the auditorium, and I began to pray and say, God, and argue with them, and all those kinds of things that you do. And that night, I went to work, and I was waiting tables, and and I was actually waiting on a, a man by the name of Buck O'Reilly. He was a wealthy business owner in our community, owned an automobile agency. And, and I was waiting on him that night, and, and I was pouring him a bottle of wine, and his two kids were at the table, and, and uh, I started telling him my story. And as I was telling him my story, I went to high school with his kids, and their eyes started getting really wide because I used to party with his kids, and they kept thinking, this guy's going to tell on us. We're going to get in trouble, man. <laughs> And as I was pouring, I tell him Christ came to my life and how God set me free and how God delivered me. And he and his wife, they were so kind and so gracious. And, and uh, they listened to my story. And I didn't think anything about it. And I left. And the next morning, I get a phone call. My pastor calls and 
says, you know, last night you waited on this guy. I said, well, how in the world do you know that? He said, well, Buck O'Reilly, we have a mutual friend, and he's the direct, state director of Teen Challenge. And Buck O'Reilly called him this morning and said, hey, I met this guy named Eugene. Do you know who his pastor is? He said, yeah, I think he goes to this church over here. He goes, well, I want you to call his pastor and tell him, I'm going to pay his way to school next year. I'm going to pay the whole thing, the room, books, tuition. I'm like, oh, come on, God. <laughs> Okay, but here's the story. Here's the deal. This is what you need to be reminded of. One act of generosity changed my destiny. Because it was that year, in September of that year, I met Laura Jean Loy. It was in November of that year that Laura Jean Loy and I, we became a couple. And it was several months later that we became engaged. And then August of the following year, we became married. And the rest is history. My boys ought to say, thank you, Buck O'Reilly. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> One act of generosity changed my destiny. And you are sitting here today as a result of that. Sometimes, like an apple, a seed goes into the ground. You can't see the harvest immediately, but the seed goes into the ground. And because it's in the ground, it be, and it gets the sun and the, and the rain, and goes through all the things that it goes through, the destiny of that apple begins to change. And it looks like just one seed. But out of that one seed potentially can come a whole apple orchard. Out of one offering, out of one generous, generous act of a local church, a destiny of one life, of one individual can be changed. And let me tell you, you have no idea. I want to remind you today the power of sowing and reaping. If you sow a little, you get a little. But if you sow and you live generously, guess what? God can trust you. God will give you an abundance. I love this. I love this. There's always a reward. Look at verse number 8. And God is able to bless you abundantly. God is able to bless you abundantly so that all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God wants to bless you. He is a good Father. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 11, Don't you know, don't you know that your Heavenly Father loves to give good gifts to His children? God loves to give good gifts to His children. You're a child of God. If you're a follower of Jesus today, He's a good Father and a good Dad. And He wants to do good for you. He loves you. But you've got to do it His way. You've got to do it His way. You've got to surrender. You've got to surrender your heart. Surrender your pocketbook. Listen, and it might just be a little. It might just be a little. It might just be a little. I watched a couple of years ago during Operation Blessing. It was for some reason that year I forgot to take the offering the week before because I get preaching too much and I forget what I'm supposed to do. And so I didn't take the offering the Sunday before. And so we had to take it on Operation Blessing Sunday, which we never had to do. And, and so the buckets, they put the buckets up here in the front and... I remember, and for some reason we did that, I can't remember now, but uh, people were coming and they were putting their offering in the bucket for Operation Blessing. I watched this one woman come to our church. I'd never seen her before, but I could tell that life had been hard for her. I could tell that life had been challenging. And as she walked up to the front, she pulled, went reached into her pocket. She had a couple dollars, and they were crumpled up. And she put them in the bucket. And the moment she did that, the moment she did that, my heart just said, that's the widow. That's the woman that Jesus watched with the money in the bucket. When all the other guys gave a lot of money, yeah, yeah, 
But that one act of faith, because she gave all, she gave extravagantly. She gave out of her poverty. See, if we have an abundance, it's easy to give. Not too tough. I'm at a place I'm 50 years old now. The Lord's helped me. I've been fairly wise. I'm not perfect, but I've been fairly wise. I've invested my monies. Tell what I'm supposed to do, save, and spent less than I made, and those kinds of things. And if you do that, if you practice that, every time you try, it works, okay? If you spend less than you make, you end up with more money in your pocket at the end of the day. Okay? I'll help you. That's a free one there. <laughs> that didn't cost you anything. All right? You do that over a long, long period of time, and you start saving as a young person. Cody, you start saving at 18, and you can retire at 40. You know, you can. You can do that. I mean, I have my best friend, 50 years old, who's a multimillionaire, never made more than $60,000 a year. He started saving when we were 18, just always lived cheap. And you can do those things. I want, to, I want to remind you today, this act of generosity always has a reward from God. This act of generosity always has a reward from God. There's a spiritual benefit. It's called the enlargement of the harvest of your righteousness. The enlargement of the harvest of your righteousness. You will stand before God. It isn't about the amount. It's not about the... Paul even says that. It's what you purpose in your heart. I'm not telling you what to give today. I'm not telling you that today. <laughs> there is an account in heaven for you. It's the enlargement of your righteousness. There's a blessing. You will be enriched in every way. You'll be enriched in relationships. Guys, it's just because your heart changes. Your heart changes. You're generous towards people. You're a blessing towards people. You love to give. You love to show hospitality. It's the reason we're bringing John McAvin to in tonight to teach us how to roll out the red carpet because next week we're going to have a bunch of VIPs. We'll have hundreds, potentially hundreds and hundreds of VIPs coming to our church community. And we're going to be just like the Ritz-Carlton. We're going to dress up and we're going to be ladies and gentlemen serving ladies and gentlemen. Brothers and sisters serving brothers and sisters. So that's the power of the kingdom. It's the power of the kingdom. The result of your generosity is practical. The result of your generosity is practical. It meets the needs of another person. It meets the needs of another person. It produces praise of God. It causes people to praise God. Listen, when we give, when you and I give today, there's something that is released not only in our hearts, but also in the hearts of the recipient. There's a praise that goes up to God. They thank God. Let me tell you, I thank God for Buck O'Reilly. I thank God for people who attend this church and who already practice this and who already believe this. Because if they didn't, we wouldn't be able to do what we do every week. It would be impossible. I mean, somebody does it. Somebody does it. And there are people in this church who are radically practicing generosity. But God says, I, there's some more that want it. There's some more that need to take this next step. Here's the thing. It proves our profession of faith. It, it, proves, it proves to God and to the world that we're really Christians. City Church, practicing generosity in this community, proves to this community that we're not just about us. We're not just about our four walls and no more. It's not just about us. It's about bringing God's love to the city one person at a time. Every man, boy, and girl, regardless of race, color skin, regardless of, uh, of their gender, regardless of their economic background, regardless of their station or position in life. It's about God's love coming to this community to change the human heart. And that's why we're here today. Today, disciples of Jesus, disciples of Jesus love to give generously. That's simple. That's simple. Every person here should have this card right here. Something just like this. All right? 
This is a card. Everyone, just can you hold the card up so I can see? I want everyone just hold me. I want to see this card. If you don't have it, I want the ushers to get ready. If you don't have it and you need this card, could you just lift your hand up? The ushers are going to bring you one. Now listen, this is for, you consider this your church home. Next week, something awesome is going to happen in this community, but I need to talk to you about this card just for a moment because I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to practice whatever level of extravagant giving is for you, wherever you are today, wherever you are in this scale, because we're all in different places economically. This is not about how much you give. This is about the heart of what you give with. Hear me today. On the back side, it says, I will serve. We need people to help serve this week. We need people who will be involved in the food sorting on Friday night to put together Thanksgiving boxes. We need people to distribute flyers this coming weekend. We have flyers that need to be distributed into the community. We need people that will set up and tear down and be involved in the registration table, people who will work the altars next week, distribute food next Sunday. We need help. This is how it happens. Next thing is we need people who will give. Now, we have these boxes up here today, these boxes. I want everyone, you can take a box if you want. You can put stuff in the food boxes there if you can do that, or you can take the bags that we have. But we also, we also need some people that will be willing to give cash because you have an extra. You have extra this week. You have just a little bit extra. Maybe it's a 10, maybe it's a 20, maybe it's a 50, maybe it's a 500 or a I don't know. It's, everyone here is at a different place at a different level. And I need, to, I need your help because I need to know how much money we have to spend and how much food we can buy this week. So I want to, the worship team's going to come, and uh, they're going to sing. And while they're singing, I want you guys to leave the lights on. Don't pass the bucket shit. Give these guys just a moment. Is the worship team here? Tom's going to sing. All right. Tom's singing. And while Tom sings, I want you to fill out your card, what you can do. Pastor Glenn's going to come up and he's going to close the service after that. Tom, lead us and sing. There is 